Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. We're continuing today in this last formal sermon option on our theme, Only United Will We Stand, leading to our patriotic celebration this coming Sunday, July 5th. Now, the reality is, is that God wants to use current events like racial tension in order to stimulate us to stop spinning wheels socially and spiritually, to drop our soul into drive and get traction to move us spiritually. So today, I'm challenging you to get out of neutral, out of park, slip it into drive, get out of reverse, put it into drive, get traction, engage the transmission of your soul through all of this current event issues going on and get some traction to move forward. Would you pray with me and ask God's anointing right now on our service? Father, we are in a really extraordinary time. All kinds of stressors and overlays are occurring in our life, not only individually, but also nationally, corporately, as a church, as a community. And we are praying right now the power of your Holy Spirit to help us move forward with you anointing us to lead the way. The church is going to lead the way in all of this, in hope for humanity's future and even in hope for our current racial tension and troubles right now. The church needs to lead the way. Anoint us to do exactly that. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. Now, I got a question for you. What color is a soul? What race is the primary race in the kingdom of God? I I think you know the answer to that. To God, there are actually only two races, sinner and saint. There are only really two races in the kingdom of God, in God's understanding and awareness. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to tear down the wall of hostility between us and God and each other. Jesus came and prayed, Father, make them one as you and I are one. Because to God, there are only two categories of human beings, those reconciled to him and those not reconciled to him. Those reconciled to each other and those not reconciled to each other. We are called by God as Christians to lead the way in every capacity regarding reconciliation. Reconciling with God is the foundation of any discussion on reconciling with each other. Reconciling with God is the foundation of any discussion in reconciling with each other. We have got to set the standard for reconciliation inside the church, resisting all of the negative toxicity outside the church from coming in. 
We have got to set the standard. We have got to detoxify our own life, our own community, so that we can look like heaven to a world that often looks like hell. That's our call on our lives. That's why I've been in this, engaged in this series, Only United Will We Stand. And the standard of reconciliation is the Bible. The standard of reconciliation is not some author out there, some human author that's devised some sort of take or ideology or philosophy on our current situation. No, where we always track back to is the foundation of the Bible and the Bible alone. It's what gives us our marching orders. So, I want you with me to drop our souls into drive, get some traction in this conversation. I've invited some black leaders from our Heritage Community Church leadership to join me in a conversation this morning. And during this series, I've challenged every race to ask the question, how are you doing with all this racial tension? This kind of mutual care and interest opens up the possibilities for change rather than shutting down the possibility for change. As long as we maintain a defensive, aggressive, or passive, apathetic, numb posture, we will never get the traction we need in order to move forward, in order to gain ground on this issue. I've learned during my 34 years of marriage, two-way, equally respectful, compassionate conversation is the only way to get any kind of positive change in any relationship. So I'm going to leverage my relationship with some folks today that are from our heritage leadership by inviting them to engage me in this two-way mutually loving conversation. All right, let's get to it. I have with me today uh, Daryl Wilson, who is one of our elders, and also Felicia Wilson, who is one of our Sophia Council members. Grateful to have you guys here today. On my other side, I have Rick Harris and Jamie Harris. Rick is one of our elders as well, and Jamie serves as an at-large Sophia Council member right now. At least that's how I see you, and now we're working together. So we're grateful to have them available, and we're going to get the conversation going by asking the question generally and then allowing them to answer, well, how, how, are, how are you doing in this time of all this racial tension? So I'll start. Um, I can say today I am reassured, and that's only because of where we are. You know, uh, our pastor has uh, taken this on and is leading us through this time, and I can say for that I'm reassured. Uh, for a time, it seemed like the injustices that were happening uh, were going unnoticed, and as the father of a young black son, what I had to do was teach him how to carry himself so that he is protected in hopes that he would not come, become a statistic. And what I can tell you is the reality is that there's doubt and fear that you have to, to live through uh, when that's kind of what, what you're up against. Uh, but because we're here talking about it, I'm reassured. 
Uh, I want to share that a moment for me with everything that's going on when I was jarred is when I saw a, an army soldier confronted by a protester and he was asked to leave his post and join them. And as someone that has served in the army, uh, without a doubt, your first general order is that you do not leave your post until properly relieved. And so that left me conflicted. I mean, I, without question, knew no was my response. But in that, it's like, okay, well, I'm, Dan, am I not standing with my people? And so that was a hard moment for me. And what it drove me to do was to reach out to my brother and say, I need to be uh, connected with others that are praying. And so again, reassured that we're praying, I'm able to pray with others and able to have discussions about what's going on uh, and trusting that God's gonna lead us through this. Um, for me, I really struggled with trying to put into words how I really feel about this. You know, growing up in the South, we were exposed to this type of thing on a regular basis. So um, to see the things going on, this is not new. And that's what I kept looking at. It's not new. It's been going on for a long time. But now that everybody has a camera in their hands, we, the world gets to see what's going on. And now we have proof of the things that have happened as opposed to somebody's word when your word didn't mean anything. And so that's the that kind of thing that I struggle with watching it. And so, you know, as you can see, I'm getting emotional with this because it, it takes me back to the lifestyle I grew up in because the county that I grew up in was the county where the Klan originated. And so we saw this stuff daily. We saw this type of racism daily. And so you, you kind of just learn to live with it. And I guess a lot of us is at that point where we're just tired of just living with it. And we want, some, some, we want, we want real change, not partial change. And so um, to say exactly how I feel about it, I really don't know. Mm. It's still a struggle for me. I got you. You know, to piggyback on some of the things you're saying, I grew up in the South as well and saw a lot of things and experienced a lot of things, but I feel refreshed because of things that's going on just like this. Because in order for us to move forward, we have to put it out there and we have to discuss it and talk about it. And that's one of the things I feel refreshed about it because until we all get in this thing together and are united, nothing will change. But I think that's what's going on now. It's a change that's going on right now with everyone being exposed to it, everybody seeing it. But the most thing is that, you know, God, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross has taken care of everything. We just have to walk in what he's already given us. And racism is not something that he wants us to have. Sin is not part of that. But we have to walk in that. And we have to walk in the things that God has given us the power to walk in. And that's why the Holy Spirit is with us. We can, this is going to, this is going to pass. It's taken a while. But it's going to pass. And I feel refreshed and I feel rejoiced because of the thing that we, that's going on right now. You're giving us the opportunity, getting involved, everybody. You know, it's not you against me, me against you. It's us. We're in this thing together. So I feel refreshed about this. Love that. Thank you, Daryl. That's fantastic. I'll echo some of what's already been said. Um, I will say that over the last few weeks, I have been crying. Mm. I'm not an emotional type. 
Um, but when it hits close to home, you feel it more. You know, my father is black. My brother is black. My sister-in-law is a white law enforcement officer. So there, there are a lot of dynamics here. My husband is black. So um, as everyone said, we're happy that discussion is happening because this situation is not new. Um, but what I do want to ask is, Pastor Steve, how are you? <laughs> oh, okay, you're going to turn the tables on me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, right now I, I feel com you know, total absolute pressure on, on both sides. I, f I feel right now like I, I, I'm just not sure exactly what to do, but I feel like the Lord's given us wisdom. Um, I've, I've cried with people in our congregation. I've listened to emotional outbursts of anger and frustration. Uh, I have experienced myself, you know, the tension of realizing that we have a very diverse congregation. And so this has been a really complex, difficult issue. And I got to tell you, I, I, I asked the Lord not to make me do this. <laughs> I asked the Lord, I said, please, just let it float by. And, and I just realized that, I, you know, there's no way that as a conscientious prophet of God that you can allow things to just float by and just pretend they're all going to be better if I just close my eyes. So for me right now, it's been a powerful emotional experience, but also a super challenge of leadership. There's been lots of intensity on all sides. And so I'm just grateful for even you even caring how I'm feeling and what I'm doing. And I think, uh, Jamie, if I could capitalize on that, that's probably your feelings about everybody. You're just not interested in how black people are feeling. You're interested in how white people are feeling as well. And that's exactly the idea of what it means to engage this. Because I don't know if you guys have noticed or not, but I'm not black. I know it's a shocker, but I'm not black. Now, when I was in high school, I rocked an afro. And I mean, it was an awesome afro. I'm talking about a pick. I, I worked a pick for over a decade. And many of my black friends were jealous of my afro by how tight I could really get it. And... But that, but, and, and, I, and I was a beach kind of person, so I, I certainly, you know, enjoyed a, getting a tan every summer and all that stuff, you know, but having an afro, curly hair, and having a tan doesn't make me black. It doesn't help me understand what the situation really is. So I have my own stories of racism. I have my own stories of what it means to be majority and interacting with minority and trying to build friendships and relationships and going to a school that experienced um, riots and clashes and all those things racially. And I'll share more about that at the forums that we have this week. But now I want to briefly ask you guys to share with me a little bit of uh, a little bit a snapshot of your experience growing up or being a part of living in the 13% minority of black America? What's, what, what has that been like for y'all? Okay, I'll start. Um, um, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the South, in, in the county and things that I grew up in. But in my college, there were, uh, it, was, it, was, it was 
there was only a few black people there at the college. And so my sister and I, we decided to start at a black student union. And with doing that, we was having a black history program in February. And so during that time, we were posting signs and advertising so that the community could come in and, and uh, take part in the show that we was gonna be doing. And so one afternoon, it was like late evening, so it was kind of like dust dark. You know, the dining hall was in another building, so we had to walk across the street to get to the dining hall. So I was alone that day, and I was walking across the street to the dining hall. And as I was getting ready to cross the street, a truckload of white guys passed me, and they tried to spit on me. And they, at the same time, they were yelling things out the door at me, out the window at me. And so, you know, if, you know, we were always taught, whatever you do when something happens, get to safety. So what I did, I just went into the closest building so that I wouldn't be alone. And so with that happening, uh, a few years ago, we was uh, here at Heritage, we was having um, summer bond and we was discussing race relations again because some things was going on. And so we had tables surround in, in each room and so there was leads to each table. So I was leading a table and it, one of the questions was sharing experience. So that was the experience that I shared. And it, with that, you know, different people shared experiences, but there was one person at the table, at the whole time, he never said a word. He never said anything to participate in the conversation. And so, you know, I wasn't really sure how to take that, but the following service, during the service, Pastor Steve opened up an opportunity for people to, to go to other people to, you know, if they had something to say. And that one gentleman walks up to me, and he said he wanted to stand in the place of the people who tried to spit on me and put me through that. And he wanted to apologize to me for that. And that, that really had an impact on me. I never really told him how much it impacted me, but it kind of brought back to me to let me know that everyone is not against us. Everyone is not the same. And so we can't put people in one box Everybody is an individual, and people choose to do the wrong thing, but not everybody chooses the wrong thing. So it really had a true impact on me. It's beautiful. So um, my experience is a bit different. I'm black, but I'm also an immigrant. Um, I am a child of a black parents. My father is very dark-skinned. He has a strong Trinidadian accent, and my mom is very light-skinned um, with green, gray eyes. And so I've grown up watching people treat them differently. Um, and so when we came to this country, uh, one of the decisions that was made is you, you kind of look at the environment and society and you allow that to determine where you want to position yourself. And so we positioned ourselves in a primarily white neighborhood because I think my parents knew that that would be some, you know, easier for success on our part. Um, I came here and when I went to elementary school, elementary students are not the kindest. Right, I came with this strong accent. And so part of what you see now is a person that adapted and removed an accent entirely and be, tried to fit in with white America. Mm -hmm. So I speak this way and I train myself as a child to be as white and as American as I could be so that I could fit in. And that started since elementary school. So um, for those of you who may not understand that, think of a young woman, a young child, and the challenges they face. They look at magazines and they see skinny people photoshopped and everything. However, when you are a black child and you look at a magazine and you see primarily white, what does that adaptation of yourself become? 
What do you push aside and what do you deny so that you can fit in and belong even more? And so that's a large part of who I am now. And now I've embraced my heritage. And I, we had some curry chicken yesterday. It was very good. Um, and I love my music. But part of who I've become as an adult has been affected by my experience as a child. I got slapped. Someone slapped me in elementary school. Um, there are stories. Um, but that's what I'd like to share. Good. Thanks. So for me, I guess... I'll start by saying that our brother Ron shared his past Wednesday night, and as you, as I hear other stories, it's just a reminder in how so disparate uh, working through and trying to understand what you know we've gone through as a people. You know, it's it's complex, but something that he highlighted that I believe is very important to recognize as we have these discussions is is that there is trauma trauma associated with each of these experiences. And it, each of us deals with trauma differently, um, but what I do know is that suppressing it is not the answer. So again, I'm grateful to Pastor Steve for allowing us to revisit wounds that many of us have buried deeply. And so for me, I grew up in the South as well, from Mississippi. And what I remember down South are the symbolism the images that were used to instill fear and the disparagement, the words that were used to remind us of our place and the less than treatment. And so the rebel flag was flown proudly by many and the association for me was a direct link to racism. It was common for the Ku Klux Klan to conduct parades in the states where I lived and also visited. So as much as I want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and believe that it holds positive meaning for some, the context in which I've seen that flag flown has been by individuals or groups that are clear in what it means to them. I don't want to associate with you. I don't like your kind. As I reflect on my past, something that I find interesting is, as a kid, how one of my favorite shows was The Dukes of Hazard. And for those not familiar with the show, Bo and Luke Duke drove a bright orange fast car named General Lee that would jump over stuff. Very cool, right? And as a kid, I loved it. But what I didn't realize until years later was the very emblem that symbolized hatred was painted across the entire roof of the car. Was there hitting me in this? I don't know. And I asked my dad about it. And what he told me is that, you know, they learn to just accept things and you become desensitized to it. And for me, in revisiting that experience and review, revisiting history, what I realized is that for blacks, if you push back or you spoke out about mistreatment or injustice, it can mean death for you or your family. Another experience is, I remember a time when our family um, went on a special trip to the Capitol, uh, on a visit to the mall. And I was walking around, uh, I was about 10, 10 years old, and was walking around with two cousins. We stopped to look at watches and jewelry. I was snatched up by security and taken to the back, accused of stealing a watch. I didn't think about, think much about it, uh, about it at the time, but looking back, I am certain that we were profiled. 
In my adult years, there were several occasions while passing through towns in the South where as a man, I was referred to as boy. Whether in a store, may I help you boy? Or pulled over by the police. Where you headed boy? For those who don't know, this was one of the common terms used for blacks of all ages, and it was clearly outlined in the racial customs and rules of racial behavior in Jim Crow America. So it was a carryover from those times. And it's weird because even today, there have been instances where Pastor Steve has jokingly said to us, whether it's the BOC or others, um, hey boys, let's get ready for a meeting. And don't think for a moment that didn't take me back. Just that one word. And then finally I would share is probably one of the most disheartening things are the, the subtle experiences that have happened when I was treated less than. It's happened enough in enough different scenarios that you just know what's going on. And this happened during my years in the Army. I retired as an Army major, and the rank was respected. But it was clear that there were times when my, my treatment versus that of my peers was not the same. Even, unfortunately, in church, I've had those experiences where my brothers and sisters treated me differently. Whether in the case of me speaking and, and someone looking right through me as if I'm invisible, or the person speaking clearly out of duty, my treatment has been different. And all I can attribute that to is the color of my skin. So what I learned to do is, and how I coped, was the Army's way. You suck it up and you drive on. So over my life, there have been days that it's been easier to do than others. The reality is that most things in life, it's much easier when it's happening over there and not directly affecting me or my immediately fam immediate family. But clearly, there's no quick fix, but the wounds for racism are real. I imagine for some, it's like what the military would call shell shock. And this is defined as the psychological disturbance caused by prolonged exposure to active warfare, especially being under bombardment. So imagine an experience of hearing artillery shells or gunfire go off over and over and over again. You're so traumatized that the very hint of this sound is a reminder of the threat of danger. So when we talk about it in terms of our experience with racism, it doesn't mean that there hasn't been progress, but the reality is that there are things that can cause a trigger, whether it's the symbolism, the words, the physical abuse, the unjust treatment. It can take you back to the harsh treatment of a people, my people, just because of the color of our skin. But really, I'm thankful that I know God Almighty who says, my grace is sufficient. And I can trust that he's leading us through. Thanks, Rick. Daryl, you want to chime in right quick? Man, uh, you know, if, I, uh, if, if Rick wasn't saying that, if I was to say it, I'd say we went through some of the same things, you know, 
some of that stuff is funny and it's not funny at the same time because one of the things we have taught our sons raising up is that whatever happens, you need to make it home tonight. And driving a car, whatever, with the thing about being called boy, that was one of the things I think everyone has been taught that because it's going to happen. Hey, boy, where are you going? Hey, boy, is this your car you're driving? Hey, boy, what are you doing driving such a pretty car like this? You know, that's one of the things we've been taught, you know, and um, it, it's just that, again, you know, we always make sure that you got to have the proper attitude when you're addressing certain people. And no matter what they call you or what they say, you know, you have to smile and take it. So you want to make it home that night. One of the stories I want to tell is that uh, when I was in high school, uh, in January 20th, 1986, I know it's a long time ago, but that was Martin Luther King's first uh, a holiday being celebrated for his birthday. We had a basketball game in Pulaski, Tennessee. Like my wife said, Pulaski, Tennessee is the uh, birthplace of the Klan. So that night we had a game that was going to happen, and they called us in and said, hey, we want to ask y'all a question. Do y'all want to play tonight? And we, you know, we juniors and seniors in high school, we told me we want to play. Of course we want to play. And they said, well, some things going on, parades going on down there. It might take us a while to get to the gym. We just want to make sure y'all want to play. And we said, yeah, we want to play. They asked the players. They never asked our parents. They asked us as players. So we said we wanted to play. So as we go, we're going down the highway and everything. We get pulled over by the police. So we're laughing because we're thinking the bus driver getting pulled over for speeding. So we're going crazy. Oh, he's speeding and everything. So they get out, talk to the cops and everything, and then we go, uh, we get back on the, uh, they get back on the bus and we take off. What we didn't realize is that we were being, es uh, we had to have a police escort through town because the Klan decided that they was gonna have a rally that day as well. And what was going on is that not only did we have the state troopers, but the National Guard was called in that day as well. The thing about it, I didn't know my wife was in college down there that year and she remembered it happening. And I was telling that we had a game that night. We had to be escorted to, through the town. And as we've been escorted through the town, I mean, on both sides, it's just we're just going through yelling. We see the clan on one side, you know, the guys on the other side, you know, arguing with each other. And we're in the middle as high school students. And we remember all of this. I, I, I have remembered a lot of it, but I suppressed and put a lot of it behind me. But I called my cousin and I called one of my best friends. And I mean, we're just talking about it just like that. They remember it. We... They, they, as they started talking, I started, oh, I do remember that part. I do remember that part. And the thing is that once we went through town and we made it through there, once we got to the high school to get off the bus, the police were there, right? And they said, don't worry about anything. We're going to stay out here and watch the bus. We never thought about the bus needing to be watched. You know, we never thought about, you know, we need an escort inside of a, a high school a gymnasium. We're going to play basketball. We never thought about any of that. So as, we, as that all happened, you know, we decided that uh, we're going to take it out on the team tonight, you know, for all this going on. But the white guys that was on our team that played with us, that was for the first time you could see in their eyes that, you know, regardless what they might have heard anything, this is real. You know, this is something that they actually go through. The next week we had a basketball game at another school called in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. <laughs> and um, the student section actually had pictures of some of us basketball players and they actually had a, a noose around one of the basketball players in the picture and it almost started a riot in the gym again we're juniors and seniors in high school and this is what was going on back then and but the thing we realized is that everybody's not the same 
when it was far and few, you know, some, one bad apple can spoil it for everybody. But what I will tell you is this, that we always was on guard. If we, and up until, I tell you, even after I got saved, when I would meet a, a white person on a job or something like my guard was up for a little while until I really believed that I really could trust someone, you know, of the other, of a white, a white person, somebody like that. Because that's just the way, you know, I can tell you so many stories we don't have time for, it, but that's just the way it was, you know. And today all I can say is that I try to look out of the eyes of Christ and not see the color of a person's skin, but see the blood that was shedded for that person. This it was for me because that's what I believe that God would want us to be that way. Now, it's still a lot of things to happen. Even today, it's been a, again, I can tell you, being a black manager for so many years, being the only one, and so many different things that happened. You know, again, it's just funny that as I was talking about this, the wife said, do you remember I told you about this? I remember I told you about that. Just so many things that happened, and it was just because of the color of my skin. Mm -hmm. You know, but again, you know, I know who I am, and I know whose I am, and I know what God has done for me. But at the same time, uh, I do know it's a lot of people out there who don't want to see people like me maybe succeed or be, you know, uh, advance to another level or anything like that. But I also know it is people that's not like me who want me to advance and go to another level, you know. And that's just because of what crisis in me, because it hasn't always been that way. I'm just going to be honest, because there's been a lot of fights, been a lot of name calling, been a lot of stuff that's going on as well. But today, I would say because of what Christ has done, it's not like that. So I'll stop talking. I appreciate that, Daryl, so much because um, oftentimes we get this imbalanced kind of approach where someone's all, you know, some group is all bad, some group is all good. And what I'm loving hearing today is this idea we're not lumping everybody into the same miserable categories that we often do. Uh, and that the world does. We want in the church to recognize that we have an individual responsibility to be able to be the people of God individually and to seek it corporately for our church as well. Now, the Bible calls us to champion reconciliation. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it calls us to be ambassadors. It says every Christian is an ambassador of reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus has torn down the wall of hostility, not only between us and God, but between us and each other. Galatians 3 tells us that Christ in the church, the church is one. There is no white, black, rich, poor, um, high class, low class. There is none of that whatsoever in the church. I heard a black preacher recently that I very much appreciated declare that according to the Bible, reconciliation with God and reconciliation with each other is not something we need to achieve, but something we need to receive. Not that we need to achieve it, that it's our work to do, but to receive the reality that he has done that work. And we need it applied in our life. It's something not to achieve, but to receive and then live out. Jesus achieved reconciliation with God and with each other. And we need to receive that reconciliation with God and each other. So I want to ask you right now briefly, we're running out of time, but just briefly, what would you exhort our congregation, our soul family to right now? How would you track back to that biblical perspective and say, I think God's speaking to us these things right now. What, we're a contrast community. What do you want to say to the congregation that you think would be helpful right now? 
Um, I would say from Psalms 139, 23, and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That we as a, as a church body need to search our hearts and, and, and check ourselves to find out, is there something that's inside of me that's causing me to see someone else that's not like me in a negative way? And ask God to actually... Um, address those things in my life and, and surrender ourselves to God that he will be able to address those things and um, just submit to what God has us to do to be able to change our own personal hearts. First John 4, 7, and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And DC Talk said, love is a verb. So <laughs> if we want to put those two things together, it's not just saying I love you, but it's relationship. It's not an acquaintanceship only, but if your world is surrounded only by people that look and are like you, then that is a good starting point for reconciliation. You should be surrounded and in relationship and in fellowship with people that are different. Yeah, just a quick thing. I, I, I just believe that the... Uh... The true love of Christ has no color. And again, like I said a few minutes ago, you know, the color I believe that God only sees is red. You know, we were saying that either God, either you're a sinner or you're not a sinner the way God sees you. Well, God sees you as the, uh, you either covered in the blood or you're not covered in the blood. And what are we, what are we going to be doing? Uh, how are we reaching the people who are not covered in the blood? How are we witnessing to them? And I just believe that's the way God sees us, covered and not covered. And that's the color that he sees. The blood that he shed for us, or that we accept it, and the person who has not accepted him is covered in the blood yet. So you go ahead. I won't take that. And I guess uh, Romans 12 is where I return. 12.9 says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to, tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And what I can tell you is my pastor, as a white man, uh, he is probably the first man that has repeatedly spoken life-giving words into my life. I love you. And without a doubt, I know that he means that. Uh, he's backed it up through prayer and through actions, you know, as uh, we see today. You know, the fact that we're here talking through this. And Are you talking about me? I'm talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Heritage Community, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story. Thank you. think what's been missing in so many of our lives has been tears. Uh, this is not a show. I don't see many people in the media weeping 
I see lots of vitriol and lots of being part of the problem in the media. I don't see much being a part of the solution. I haven't seen a lot of politicians weeping. I haven't seen a lot of organizers weeping. If you're interested in being a part of the solution and not a part of the problem, I want to invite you to show up at our forums this week. Tuesday at 7 o'clock is a forum for white folks. And Thursday at 7 o'clock is a forum for black folks, all in the sanctuary. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. I know that might even sound crazy to some people. To say, why would we separate? We should be getting together. We're gonna. We're gonna. But it's been my experience as a counselor and a leader through a lot of conflict that sometimes in order to get traction, we need to let a little air out of the tires so that we can get some traction. And these forums are designed to get together to, to have an open experience of being able to let a little air out of the tires, to share a little bit, to help us orient ourselves in all of this disorientation that we've been experiencing where there's tremendous powerful emotion. And as I've known many, many times in situations, getting intensely powerful emotions, conflicting emotions in the same room, trying to bring peace, often ends up doing more damage than good. And so I'm asking you to trust your pastor. I'm asking you to trust your pastor and engage. My goal is to help each race decompress and de-escalate in order to positively process the power of the moment. And so as I said, during my many years of being a counselor, a relationship counselor, walking a lot of people through a lot of conflict, the only way I could often unite people was to separate people and have individual conversations to be able to help them process without the other person in the room who they either fear or are angry at in order to be able to get some traction and move and decompress. And then as we get back together, there's much more capacity for positive movement and engagement and reconciliation. You might ask yourself, hey, I, I'm an interracial couple. What do I do? Which one do I go to? Well, you, you pick the race that you are and you go to that forum and you bring that perspective there. You might say, my father's black, my mother's white. Where do I go? Pick whatever one you want to go to that's really an option up to you you go with ever with anyone you identify with and we would appreciate that and then oh i'm excited about this then we're going to gather together during our worship night our monthly worship night in order to see ourselves in person not only online but also in person gather together as the whole soul family 
unite in worship around the cross and unite in prayer for each other. And how I wish social distancing wasn't a reality at that time. But we're going to pray through it and sing through it and worship through it. And we are going to find ourselves moving forward with great traction regarding this racial reconciliation. And if you want to even be a more practical help during this time, you want to take the, the, the passion of your faith and apply it to actual change like we've heard about today, not just theoretical change, not just philosophical change, but actual change and in the realities of our congregation and the realities of our community, I'm inviting you to let me know if you'd like to be a part of our new racial reconciliation and reform team. This team is eventually going to help us set an agenda for our congregation to make sure that we are consistently touching this and moving it along as we go year after year to make a difference in our community, of our church, and our community that we live in. So contact me if you're interested in that racial reconciliation and reform team. And I'm telling you, I really believe that if we can get real honest and we can get real open lines of communication between the races inside the church, then the unity that we experience inside the church has the capacity to flow outside the church in your workplace, in your softball teams, in your soccer teams, in your tennis matches, in your gyms, in your family gatherings. And that will make the difference as we, the church, seed the community with the Spirit of God and its unity. The first step, though, is to decompress ourselves and begin having good conversations. Jesus prayed that his soul family would be one, and only united will we stand as a church and as a nation. So right now, it's time to respond, Heritage Soul Family. So I want to invite you right now you that are in the house and you at home, would you stand with me? Or if you'd like, you can kneel. Whatever God might be calling you to do right now, you're welcome to stand or to kneel. Just don't remain in the same posture you've been in. We're going to sing just one song here. And then we're going to wrap up with our benediction and our final comments. And then we'll have a final song together. And after that, like even right now, if you'd, if you'd like to right now, you can go to our virtual spiritual response time. And you can engage that. The, the uh, link is right there to our Zoom virtual response. If you're at home and you want to engage that spiritual response time, you'll be, you are able to do that right now if you'd like to. You can stay and sing. You can move into those individual prayer times. This is the time to do that as we engage the Lord in this time of singing and response.